Father, we ask that as we open up our Bibles, that you would open up our hearts and minds and that you would speak and that you would make us attentive to your voice. God, even as we feel the wind on our skin, we are reminded that your spirit blows where you will, that you are here present with us, closer to us right now than the wind on our faces. And God, we welcome your presence. We welcome your voice. Come speak and come change us, we pray. We need a word from you. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. So I performed a wedding over the weekend, and I was talking to somebody who I hadn't seen in a while, and I asked him how he was doing, and his response was something that I have found myself saying to many people, you have probably said it to others yourself, Uh, and the response was, I am ready for this whole thing to be over. And I remember back in 2020, they said that the most overused word of 2020 was the word unprecedented. And perhaps the most overused phrase I have spoken is that phrase, I am ready for this thing to be over. But I was thinking about our text that we're looking at this evening and today. And, um, you know, I was thinking about the children of Israel at the stage that we meet them in the text today had now been in the wilderness for several, several months. And no doubt they themselves were saying, we're ready for this whole thing to be over. Well, in the story that we're looking at today, the time for the wilderness wanderings to come to a close has approached, or at least it could have come to an end in the text that we're looking at, but Israel failed to trust God in this moment, and so they wound up staying in the wilderness. But I want to invite you just to enter in with me into this story, and I want you to see how the story might speak to us in our own lives as we find ourselves in the wilderness we're walking in right now, thinking that same question, when is this whole thing going to be over? So where we pick up the story, it's in chapter 13 of Numbers, verses 1 and 2. And again, the children of Israel have been traveling through the wilderness. They're now on the verge of entering into the land of promise. They had been reminded by Moses that God had given to them the gift of the land. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey. Israel's on the verge of entering into the promised land. Moses has reminded them that the land they are entering is going to be a gift from God. He's described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. And then it says in verse 1 that Moses now, before they enter the land, he has put together a special ops team that's going to go and do a reconnaissance mission into the land of Canaan and kind of scope things out. Look at what it says in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So here Moses is sending a team, a very small team of 12 men to go into the land, kind of get the lay of the land, and then to come back and report out on their findings to the rest of the children of Israel. And the people that are selected for this journey, they are at the top of their game. They're called in our, cha- in our text, the chieftains of the tribes. And so these are strong, powerful, brave, courageous warriors. And that will be important when they come back and they give a report out on what they found. 
And so uh, in verses 4 down to verse 16, it gives a list of their names. If you're interested in those names, you can go back and read that later, maybe tomorrow. But we're going to pick up in verse 17. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And here's his instructions. He says this. He says, go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what, land, what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or whether they are many or few and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether the trees in it uh, are good or not. And he says, be of good courage and by the way, bring some fruit back from the land. And so notice the instructions end with a request to bring some fruit back from the land so that the children of Israel can get a tangible taste, some tangible evidence of the goodness of God to be found in this land. Kind of like a Costco sample, they're supposed to bring something back. And so they embark on their exhibition, and look what it says next in verse 21. It says, and so they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rahab near Labo Hamath. And they went up into the Negeb and they came to Hebron and Ahimon and Shishay and Telmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And then look what it says in verse 23. And they came to the valley of Eshcol and they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought with them some pomegranates and some figs. And so the author notes here two things about their little journey, their little reconnaissance mission. The first thing he notes is that when they were there, they found some enormous grapes. And so just to give the children of Israel a little sample of just how this how, how beautiful and how lush and vibrant and fertile this land is, they take some of these grapes, and it says that these grapes are so enormous, it will take two men carrying the grapes, carrying just one cluster of these grapes between two, a pole. And uh, the second thing he notes is not only the enormous size of the grapes, but the enormous size of the inhabitants in the land. You'll notice in the text, it says that uh, the descendants of Anak were there. And it sounds to us like uh, that's an ethnic group, the Anak uh, tribe or something like that. But actually in Hebrew, the word Anak is translated as giant. And uh, so, so this is a tribe of very large and fierce people. And in my imagination, I think the children of Israel probably in a very reasonable height range of maybe 5'2", or maybe all the way up to the perfect size of 5'6". And no doubt the Anak were probably somewhere 7'2", seven, 7'6", seven, somewhere there, Shaquille O'Neal size, probably broad shoulders, fierce and kind of dangerous people. And so uh, look at what it says now as the story carries on. They return with their grapes to the anxiously awaiting children of Israel. And uh, the, the tribes are kind of like anxious to hear the report. And the 12 quiet them down. And to paraphrase verses 25 to 33, they basically said, look, uh, guys, we have some good news and we have some bad news. He says, the good news is, is that Moses hasn't even told us the half of this 
of the story of this land. It is not just flowing with milk and honey. Look at the size of these grapes and get a taste of these pomegranates and these figs. This, this land is fertile, it's lush, it's beautiful, it's amazing. That's the good news. The bad news is there are some big, scary, ferocious dudes there. You know, it was likely the case that the land of Canaan was a loose collection of many kingdoms, tribing, tribes that were constantly warring against each other, uh, led out by fierce warlords. And the 12 go in there and they see this and they're like, oh, these people are warring, they're fighting, they're large, they're dangerous. And 10 out of the 12 conclude, there's no way we're going to be able to take this land. And uh, a little bit later, the, the 10 note that the, 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 the people in the land, the descendants of Anak, they connect them with the uh, kind of this, this legendary group drawn from Genesis 6 called the Nephilim, which were, again, these very fierce and large kind of gigantic type people. And this creates quite a stir among the children of Israel. They hear the good news, and they also hear the bad news, and they're like, oh, no, you know. And then notice, look what happens, verse 30. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And listen to what Caleb says. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. And then the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Notice there are, there are two reports coming back to the children of Israel. There's the report of the majority, the 10, who say, look, we are not able to do it. And then there's the report of the minority who say, we are able to do this. Caleb and Joshua, they're like, let's go and take them at once. And the, the report couldn't, even, couldn't be more different. The majority say, look, uh, the land is beautiful and fertile, but the giants are going to crush us. But the minority says, no, we're going to go in and we will crush those giants and we will take advantage of this fertile, beautiful land. Well, predictably, the children of Israel respond to the word not of the, not of the minority who speak the words of faith, but instead they respond to the reports of the majority. And look at what they say. Look at what it says. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones are going to become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. But then look at what uh, Joshua says. He comes back and again he speaks to them a word of faith. And he says this, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Don't be afraid of the giants in the land. 
for they are bread for us. You know, I like it. Uh, Joshua is kind of talking smack here. He says, uh, we're going to eat those people for lunch. Don't worry about them. He says, look, only do not fear. Their protection is removed for them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Well, as the story goes on, the children of Israel, of course, go along with the voice of the majority, the naysayers, the people who said we're not able to do it. And there's this dialogue, this debate between Moses and God. Moses uh, pleads to God on behalf of the children of Israel. And then ultimately, God speaks this word. He says this. He says, look, if you are absolutely bound and determined to not face the giants and go into the promised land, if you are bound and determined to stay in the wilderness, then in the wilderness you will stay and you will die in the wilderness. And then the story ends. And what I want to do right now in the midst of this wind You know, by the way, somebody, by the grace of God, gave me this little, uh, this is a little weight that's supposed to stay down on your Bible so it doesn't blow away. And that was Patty Verberg. So can we all just give Patty a hand? Because what a great thing that was. <laughs> but listen, I know it's windy, and I'm going to make this quick. But let me just make three observations about this story. You know, on one level, this story is, of course, about the failure of the children of Israel to trust God that he would give them what they needed to overcome the giants and inherit the land that he had promised to give them. On one level, this is about the children of Israel. But on another level, this is a story about us. You know, when you get to the New Testament... They look back on these stories as archetypes, as allegories or metaphors for our own lives. You see, this is not simply about Israel's failure to face her giants and enter into the promised land. This also is about us and our own experience of wilderness and what for us is oftentimes our failure to enter into the full extent of the promise God has for us because we too have fears about facing our giants. And so I just want to make three observations from this story that I think apply to us today. Number one, the first thing I want you to see in this story is that God doesn't want you to remain in the wilderness. God doesn't want you, he doesn't want me to remain in the wilderness. You know, Throughout this series, we've been talking about how, of necessity, before we can ever make it to the promised land, we have got to go through the wilderness. You will never enter into the full beauty of all God has for you unless you are willing to walk through some dark and difficult, challenging places, seasons of scarcity unless you are willing to walk through your own wilderness experience. And so 
God oftentimes on our journey to the promised land takes us through the wilderness. But what I want you to see is that the wilderness is not your destination. It is not the place where God ultimately wants you to live. God ultimately wants to take you into the promised land. You know, when you get into the New Testament, the, 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 the promised land gets transposed into the eternal kingdom of God. That reality that broke into the world in Jesus Christ of God's saving, healing, reconciling power come into the world to renew everything. Ultimately, God's plan is to restore all of creation. It is to bring his healing rule, his justice, bringing peaceable kingdom to every square inch in, the, in all of reality. And Jesus came to bring this kingdom into the world. And ultimately, we will enter into that eternal kingdom. That will be our eternal promised land. But listen, the, the promised land is not simply a future place you go after you die. The promised land, this eternal kingdom has broken into our time and space reality in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about it, and it, it would be kind of, it's kind of like this, you know. Uh, Disneyland has yet to open because of COVID. But you can go to downtown Disney tonight if you want. And you can walk through spaces that have been designed by the, the Imagineers uh, that have been brought into being through the imagination of Walt Disney. You can go into downtown Disney. You just can't get into the park. And, and look, Christ has inaugurated his kingdom right now. It's kind of like downtown Disney. And already the, the realities of the kingdom of God have broken into the world and they have broken into our lives. And God is forming a new community, a new humanity. He is bringing by his spirit joy and peace and healing and freedom into human life right now. This is what God wants for you. This is the ultimate promised land God wants to bring you into. Or we could put it like this, God's will is not that you would continually stay in marital discord, but that you would actually move into marital reconciliation and healing. You know, God's will is not that you would continue to stay in this place of disorientation, wondering what you should do with your life, wondering if there's any meaning in life beyond sitting down and playing video games. No, God wants you to enter into a life of full meaning and purpose. God doesn't want you to remain in a wilderness of crippling anxiety and fear. God wants to bring you into a place where you actually experience genuine and real peace in your soul. God doesn't want you to remain in a wilderness of continually falling back in those same addictive patterns. God wants you to bring you into a promised land of, of freedom from those addictions. God wants... He, he doesn't want you to remain in a, in a place where your family is in this place of dysfunction and it's just problematic and, it, and it's hurting. God wants to bring you into a place where your family knows new freedom and, 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 and healing and there's reconciliation. God doesn't want you to live in the, in the past hurts and your past failures. He doesn't want you to live in continual unforgiveness and bitterness for those betrayals and those broken relationships. He wants to bring you into a place where your life can be new and different. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that God has something more for your life than, than the wilderness you're experiencing? You know, what we see in this text is an indication of what we learn in the New Testament, and that's that God has more for us in this life. You know, Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and that you might experience it to the fullness. Jesus has come so that we might have life. And yes, that's life in the age to come. It will be perfect and it will be good and beautiful there. But even now we can experience that life in our relationships and in our souls and in our families and in our, in our vocation in this world. We can experience something of God's life that he brought into this world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so God doesn't want you to remain in the wilderness. He wants to see us go together into the promised land. And of course, we could draw that out even a little bit further and think about us as a local church. You know, God doesn't forever want us to remain in a place where we're kind of on pause for a lot of kind of like the work we've been working towards through the Our Moment campaign and through all the, all the, the vision and the strategy and the work we've kind of been doing in our community to bring the gospel to new people and new places and reach the next generation. God has more in store for us in the months and the years ahead. And so God doesn't want us to remain in the wilderness but secondly, the thing that I want you to see in this text is that if we are going to move out of the wilderness and into the promised land, if you are going to do that, then number two, you need to learn to face your giants. If you're going to move out of the wilderness and into the promised land, you need to face your giants. And some of us have some pretty scary giants we need to face. You know, I think um, when, I was, when I was working on this sermon, there was a part of me, I, I'm one of these um, people that I can get a little bit cynical about what I feel like are trite and cliche kind of truisms that are oftentimes uh, spoken in churches and put on Christian shirts and bumper stickers. And I was thinking to myself, like this whole, uh, thing to face your giants. You know, it seems like one of these little like cliche, trite phrases. But you know, it's absolutely true, isn't it? If you are ever going to enter into the full life that God has for you, you are going to have to face your giants. You know, one of the reasons why these ancient texts, you know, if you're new to Christianity, maybe you're, you're unfamiliar with, with the church or with, with the Bible and this sort of thing, and you're thinking like, they're looking at these ancient texts, you know, this text is some 2,500 plus years old. And we can, we can find ourselves asking, why go back to these ancient texts? And one of the reasons is, is that in these stories, we find something that is so real to our experience. We always find some scary giants in the way that we have to figure out how to overcome to get there. You know, and for some of you, the giant you need to face in order to enter into the full life that God has for you is the truth about yourself. You know, oftentimes there's some hard truth about ourselves that we are afraid to look at dead in the face. 
I can remember uh, years ago when I was in Long Beach, I was about to move out to Albuquerque and to take on the role of uh, senior pastor of a church out there. It was my first experience as being a senior pastor. And before I left, I remember I sat down with uh, some staff members who had worked underneath me at the church. And I asked them, I said, hey, I need you guys to be honest with me. I want you to tell me everything you think I do wrong as a boss. And then I held on for dear life and I kind of winced being ready to hear the truth. But you know, the truth about yourself sometimes is as scary as any giant that the children of Israel might have faced because it's just stuff you don't want to hear. Like you know, you know you need to, you know you need to own the fact you just don't listen and, and you don't really care very much about other people and their needs. Or, or maybe, you know, you have been actually continually going back to those pills, not because your body's in pain and you need them, but because it's numbing the deep pain in your soul. You know, and, and you need to face that hard truth. And until you face that hard truth, you will never actually enter into the full life that God has for you. You know, there might be a hard conversation that you need to have in your marriage or with your boyfriend or girlfriend or maybe with one of your friends. And, uh, you know, you've been avoiding it. And you've been avoiding it because you're afraid of what might happen if you actually talk about the issue that you know you need to talk about. But you're afraid to go there because it's just too painful. But listen, you will never go to the place that God wants to take you unless you are willing to face the giant of that hard conversation. And, and, you know, there, there may be some stuff, again, about yourself that you are afraid to face, you know. Maybe for some of you, you are just drama queens or kings. And you, you, kind, of, you, you kind of create drama. Uh, you almost need drama with a girlfriend or boyfriend or a friend or family drama or some kind of drama. And yet you are depressed and you're miserable. And the reason is, is because you have to have drama to keep your life going. And maybe you need to name that. You need to face that giant and say, you know what? That's, that's not okay. And I need to face this stuff. And, and, and maybe you need to, you know, have hard conversations with friends. Maybe you need to go to a therapist. Maybe, may, maybe you need to confess sin. Maybe you need to come, come clean and face your giant if you're actually going to enter into the place that God wants to take you. And so the first thing we learn from this story is that God doesn't want you to stay in the wilderness. The second thing we learn is that, we, is that if we are going to enter into the promised land, we need to face some giants. But the third thing I want you to see is not only do you need to face your giants, but you need to learn how to tell a new story about your giants. You know, this struck me this week in, st in studying this text. You know, both the 10 as well as Joshua and Caleb, both the majority report and the minority report had the exact same stats 
They had the same data on the land of Canaan. They had the same facts. The difference was how they interpreted the facts. The difference was the story they told about the data that was before them. And the story they told about that data made all of the difference in the world. And the story that the 10 told was that the giants in the land meant that they were going to be crushed and they would never enter into the promise that God had for them. The story that the minority told in contrast was, we will crush those giants by the grace and power of God and we will enter into the promises that God has for us. But do you see, both had the same data. They both were facing giants. The difference was, was the story they told about their giants. And you know, it is also true for us in our own lives. You know, there are so many different stories you bring in with you tonight of pain and hurt, of maybe addictions and abuse, of just fierce and dark challenges that you faced in your life, deep wounds. But you know, you don't just carry in with you those realities, you also carry with you a story that you tell about them. And the story that you tell could be, because I have experienced this betrayal, or because I have known this deep hurt, and because I have been abused, or because I failed, or because I, I, I have financial difficulties, I will never amount to anything. I must remain here forever. I am a loser. I, God, God doesn't love me. Nobody loves me. My marriage will never be okay. You know, I'll never meet anybody. Nobody will ever love me. You tell different stories about the data. And I think what we learn in this text is that if we're going to enter into all that God has for us, we need to learn how to tell a new story about the hurts and the pains, those giants that we have in, in our way that are really the obstacles from entering into all that God has for us. And listen, here is the truth that you need to bring into the story. And the truth that you and I need to bring into the story is that yes, your giants are strong and they are fierce and they are powerful and they are real and there is no easy way to overcome them. You know, the most important ground we are gonna take oftentimes in our life will not be yielded to us unless we fight for it, unless we face a giant and go through sometimes weeks or months or years of work in order to get to the other side. The giants are real and they're fierce. But the truth that we need to bring into the story is that there is one who is stronger and whose love is more powerful and true than any giant you face. And that is the love of God that broke into the world in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a power. Whoa, there goes. That's more powerful than this wind. It's actually the God over the wind. But listen, here, here's what I want you to see. Is that God's love for you is such. And his power that is at work in this world, in your life personally, 
oftentimes through people that God has brought around you to speak into your life and to support you, through the church community that God has brought you in, into, there is strength and power, the strength and power of God at work in and through the church and in and through your friends and in and through the work of the Spirit in a very personal way in your life that is more powerful and more strong than any giant you may face. And you can entrust your life to God. You can believe, you can hold on to this story that there is a power that is stronger than any giant you face. And you can face him, you can face those giants with the power of God in Jesus Christ in your life. And may you hold on to that good news. And may that good news reinvigorate your strength and your faith to enter into the to, to enter into the promised land in the face of those giants and to find God's power and his help over a long period of time and with much help from people around you to overcome those those massive giants and to enter into the land that God has for you. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we come to you now and we just ask God that you might work strong on our behalf. God, I recognize that the words I've spoken tonight are just that, they're words. But the realities behind them, I know, reflect so much of what is happening in people's lives and hurts and wounds and betrayals and abuse and fears and anxieties and addictions. God, you see it all here tonight, and we praise you right now that you are the God who is stronger and bigger than all of that. And I pray, oh God, that maybe tonight might be a new beginning for some people to enter in to that fight against those harsh realities with your power and strength. God, would you reassure them that you are for them and not against them, that your love is with them, that by your strength and through your power that we can overcome. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.